Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Zero Trust for Zero Gravity. My name is Dave Parent, CEO of Spider Oak, and I'm really excited to welcome our two guests today, Steve Bjornas and Ben Fauner from Triceps. This is a company that we just recently uh, started uh, working with, uh, we're fellow members of the Small Set Alliance, and did a webinar together around space cyber. And it's always nice to find other fellow travelers on that journey. And so I'd like to welcome Steve and Ben. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yes, uh, thank you for having me on the show. The, I'm Steven Bjornis, um, Director of Software Development here at Tricept. Um, been at the company for a few years now and uh, was brought on board to help them, uh, help Tricept develop uh, security solutions for their customers and beyond um, that were uh, more affordable and uh, for, for startup companies to be able to embrace security uh, easier in the satellite space. Yeah, and I'm Ben Fauner. Uh, I've been with Tricep uh, for a little while now, uh, serving more of a uh, QA and security consulting uh, aspect to the products that we're developing. So it's your fault. If no, I make sure that people can't say it's my fault. Ah, I see. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just hired actually a, a new QA person on the team. And after one week, it's like, how dare you? No. So quality, very important. I, I like to start these with a, a little bit of a kind of open-ended question, but one where I always find interesting around the answer. What is zero trust? Supposedly, we're all about zero trust in space. What is zero trust and what's unique about that in space in terms of your perspective and triceps? Well, uh, you know, at a fundamental level, right? Uh, the goal of zero trust is to remove that implicit trust you typically find um, usually within a lot of organizations. So simply trying to create that barrier, the outside world has been proven pretty much time and time again to not be good enough to protect your network by itself. Now it's done for obvious reasons, right? Because the easier it is for people to communicate and share and interact, the easier it is to get work done. But um, the easier it is for the, them to do that, the easier it is for a potential intruder to do that. So, you know, anyone who has any familiarity with zero trust has almost certainly heard the phrase, never trust, always verify. Probably the first thing you read when, you, when you're starting to research zero trust. And this really is the root of what zero trust is for us and what we what we strive for and what I think the industry should strive for. And that is, you know, provide uh, the smallest amount of access necessary to get the work done while continuously validating those uh, interactions. And, you know, for, from Tricep's perspective, uh, you know, we're careful not to advertise that we're solving the zero trust problem, but we contribute to helping solve that problem. By uh, by taking a TNO approach or a, t a trust no one approach. What do you think? Uh, before we kind of dive into you know shameless promotion of your own solutions, which we clearly front upon in this kind of academic discussion of space cybersecurity, d describe for me the what is space cybersecurity today? Imagine our two companies and others kind of trying to bring zero trust to space exists. Just like what, for the last 10, 20 years, what is space cybersecurity and how is it practiced? And then, because that sets the context for like, well, what are we all up to? Well, I think, you know, one thing that we can definitely say for a lot of people we've talked to is security has been the, yeah, we'll get to that on the next version. It'll, it's a tag on at the end, second class citizen in the development process. And, you know, the bill's coming due on kicking that can down the road. Um, Definitely, you know, trying to 
really bring it up to you know a lot of the lessons that we've learned uh, in ground security, uh, take that up into space with us. But you know, a lot of it has been um, you know, oh, you know, uh, security through obscurity. You know, nobody can make this kind of a, a radio to talk to us, so we can just have free communications. Maybe some basic level um, transit encryption. You know, it's something I've observed is if if there's any concern around security, and to your point, Ben, a lot of it has been, uh, you know, I'm just going to write that check. Someone else is going to have to cash it. Not my problem. But or it's I secured the next hop, so I'm good. All right. Well, how many hops we got here between, you know, source and sync and, you know, this this confidence of like I'm secure is I find akin to like my Brinks truck is absolutely secure and I bring the money to a bank vault, which is secure. But for a period of time, they have literal sacks of cash in the streets that is completely unprotected. So I think this hubris is really coming to light. Uh, particularly as we do crazy things like having multiple satellite systems or ground systems that are not vertically integrated, talk to each other. I feel like that's one of the the big drivers for trust now, because you can't just own and operate everything. Has that kind of been your experience as to why this is now more important than it used to be? Uh, yeah, for sure. The, um, you know, the, well, once the, the data leaves your system, it's, uh, it's impossible to say with 100% certainty that it's not going to be intercepted or what's going to, what's going to happen to it. Um, you know, there's a, there's a similar, uh, it's a similar, um, you know, argument for like, you don't know necessarily where all of your hardware, uh, comes from, you know, if it's coming from, uh, if it's coming from China, for example, you don't know if there's anything nefarious on there before you even put it in your satellite. It's very, it's very similar to just once the, once you're up there and you're passing data along, you don't really know, um, which uh, was just where the, the whole trust equation comes in. And without having any easy access to, you know, physical access to those devices, they need to be extremely uh, cautious about, uh, you know, what they allow in, what they allow out uh, those devices. Um, so yeah, definitely agree. So where does uh, Triceps kind of sit in this ecosystem? You know, before we kind of jump into what particular solutions you have, like what is the history of Tricept in space and, and why space cyber? Of all the crazy things that a company could, I mean, it's more interesting to work on rockets and blowing things up and, you know, you know, grabbing debris in space. Why space cyber of all the things you could be doing? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, uh, Tricep tries to have as much fun as it can in those other places too. <laughs> you know, Tricep started off um, as a uh, launch and integration uh, company um, and quickly uh, started incorporating rideshare uh, services. Um, and for a long time, that was uh, Tricep's bread and butter. Um, and they've since, you know, uh, expanded into other spaces, uh, even, even non-space related spaces. Um, but uh um, recently, um, one thing that has, that the CEO of our company, Rob Spicer, has noticed with uh, with the, our existing customers is a lot of them um, see the bill coming due for having to incorporate security into their satellites, and uh, especially after you know SPD five dropped, um, that you know that sweat drop got even bigger, and. Uh, and they're realizing how expensive security is uh, and whether it's hiring those engineers or finding solutions that already exist and trying to uh, 
incorporate them. And uh, they were running into a lot of issues in regard to that, which is what motivated uh, the company as a whole, uh, most notably the CEO, to want to dive into that space uh, to see, you know, being able to help out existing customers. That was the real motivation. So is this kind of a pivot or new business from services trying to make a repeatable product? Yes, it is. This is the, this would be the first. Uh, um, the software development side of the house is uh, Triceps' uh, first foray into developing uh, products um, for not just uh, you know not just for federal customers but commercially as well. And uh, what is this product? And what what uh, what is it that you're making that either doesn't exist or a better version of something that already exists? So uh, one of the first things we did as a team um, uh, was talk to the existing customers that, um, that Tricept has and uh, to get an idea of where they were at with regard to security or what their um, approach might be and what their existing systems were like. And, uh, and there was a big question mark. They didn't know. <laughs> there was like, we're not sure what we're going to do or how we're going to approach this. So the, like Henry Ford asking people with horses uh, what they wanted in a car or yes. Steve Jobs asking people, uh, I want a Walkman needs a cell phone <laughs> and then, you know, come up with some like people just don't know what they don't know. Right. Yeah. That's a very apt analogy. A lot of the people we were talking to just said, I know it's something that I need. I have no idea what the context around it is beyond, you know, I hear stories of hacking and, and exploitation and that kind of stuff. And I don't want to be the next headline. Yeah. So the um, so internally, um, when we were looking at how we could help them, um, you know, the realization was, uh, you know, coming in after the fact and trying to to uh, hack together security for them wasn't going to make it any cheaper for them. So the uh, leveraging what they already know and trying to make them make something that would help, uh, uh, we ended up falling on making a custom Linux distribution that was geared towards satellites. So the product that that we are uh, nearing the end of development on and about to release is uh, it's called Tricept Secure Embedded Linux. And uh, as the name uh, might imply, it's designed for embedded systems. And the idea is we uh, what you receive is uh, will be secure out of the gate and locked down out of the gate. And we're going to work. We would work with the, the companies to peel it back only as much as necessary for them to be able to achieve the goals that they need. Um, uh, as opposed to coming in later and trying to secure what they have and forcing them to redesign or forcing them to open up more holes than they need, um, it's a it was a much it's a much cheaper approach to from the get go um, have them uh, be locked down and then just dial it back. And it also helps so, take the onus uh, off the customer for making sure that they have the uh, best practices put in place. Uh, you know. For one example that you know jumps to my mind is um, the Heartbleed vulnerability from a few years back, dealing with the OpenSSL libraries. You know, part of the reason that that became an issue was people would just grab OpenSSL to provide you know whatever function they needed, but OpenSSL was so big and was a kind of a playground for emerging concepts that it brought along with it a lot of uh, additional problems that that led to that outbreak. So one of the things that we do in that mindset is we help set them up that if they need, you know, SSH services and that kind of stuff, we bring in SSH and strip it down to just the pieces we need rather than the whole package to help minimize that footprint, that, that attack surface. 
Well, let me play devil's advocate. I think the world needs another Linux history like my daughter needs more Pokemon cards. They keep making more of them. And uh, I'm wondering, like, why another one? Why does it an, an existing distro, you know, solve the problem? So what what is it that you're doing that's different uh, than the thousands of other distros that people can pick up? Uh, so the yeah, I get I feel you there. Um, the main thing that that uh, if you're a small satellite builder and you're looking for um, something that you can work on um, and incorporate security uh, out of the gate, um, if you're if you're not familiar with uh, developing embedded uh, Linux, trying to develop those board support packages on your own can be quite difficult. And uh, and again, incorporating that Linux uh, or excuse me, incorporating the security out of the gate. Uh, combining those two things into a more affordable service out of the gate compared to a lot of the uh, embedded Linux distros out there. Um, it can it can get quite expensive to have that combo where you have uh, the board support packages available to you and security be available to you. And that's well, uh, quite the limiting factor for a lot of people. Let's talk about that intersection. So when you say embedded systems, are there like two or three big ones that you target? Because I've... I've noticed like trying to figure out, you know, the space ecosystem is like, what's your IOT platform is like, well, here's a thousand things, you know? So how do you get the meaty part of the, the histogram on the left side that gets the most bang for your buck? What systems are you targeting? Yeah. So the, I mean, right now, the initial uh, uh, platforms that we're tar- targeting are Xilinx platforms, but the, uh, a part of what we're we plan on growing our library over time, right? And we're going to uh, our, we're going to prioritize based on uh, what our customers come to us with. So uh, if you when you purchase Tricep Secure Embedded Linux, a part of that is going to be uh, us developing the, the board support package for your platform, um, and that will allow that not only allow it to run in your platform. You know, you know, for us, we also benefit in that our library will grow on what platforms we can target. Um, but yeah, you're, you are right. Like there's, there's a tons of platforms out there and we're not claiming to cover them all right now out of the gate. <laughs> um, that is something that will, that will grow over time. So talk about, the, okay. So we talked about the target, uh, platform. Now let's talk about the security side and let's bring in log for J because what else are we going to talk about? Mm-hmm. So how would you have prevented this problem for your clients? So, because it's one thing to say like, well, we're going to manage the supply chain of components and have the latest patches, but make it real for a client. It's like, is Log4j going to threaten my satellite because I'm I'm your client? What's your answer to that prospective or current question? Yeah, one of the things that we provide uh, when we give you updates uh, with the T-cell and all that is a list of all the, the modules that we pulled in, the, the components we're using. Uh, we regularly monitor the CVE channels to find those changes and make sure they get integrated into uh, updates that you know we can pass down to our customers. Um, we stay on top of that, you know, hearing both from you know the security uh, different communities as well as you know if the customers come back down to us that we have you know a agile enough platform that we can take in these changes on a regular basis, turn out a new copy of T Cell that works on their platforms that they can then you know do in-place upgrades or, you know, be their next build platform. How scary is it to do an in-place upgrade on a satellite? For the, There are a lot of folks who listen to this podcast who are like, can you just do an upgrade like that on a satellite that's flying around for something so core? Like, I'll just take the brain out of this person, you know, put a new one in. I mean, this seems like a pretty core component. 
Yeah, there's a obviously going to be inherent risk in that. Um, so you know, when uh, for us updating, it was it's important that interruptions can happen, um, and that uh, that the actual main processing unit, um, while the uh, while the updates are happening, it's still operable. And if a uh, if an update fails, it was important that we could revert back. So there's we we take a lot of precautions into uh, you know understanding that sensitivity and trying to prepare for any potential uh, failures that might happen. But uh, but yeah, it is risky. And that from the interactions we've had with the, the industry, they're very very uh, nervous about that. And understandably, as we move move forward, um, as space moves forward. Uh, I think the ability to update them will become more and more important, but it's, you know, it's, it's a scary thing to, to do when I, I can understand that people are very nervous about it. And I would even add on top of that, you know, with, you know, the big, the popularity push of things like Starlink and, and you know, the other one web and other bits and people are putting up constellations, you're going to have more and more um, individual customers directly on the line talking to the satellite and you're going to need to be able to keep up with the newest uh, updates because you're just going to have more and more eyes on you and more and more people uh, trying to reach out and play with the different technologies in the you know whitest of hat uh, ways or trying to take control with the black hat. Where do you think the appetite for space cyber is coming? Mostly uh, commercial or federal? And of course, you can just say, well, it's both, Dave. But you know, I'm just curious how how do you see this playing out like chicken versus the egg over the next few years? Like is federal, the pointy egg uh, edge of the stick and, uh, and then it's going to be commercial to follow or you see some fast leaders in the commercial side. I mean, look into the crystal ball and, and tell me how the next few years are going to play out. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it, it's pretty clear that on the commercial side, uh, there's a lot of dragging of feet um, because uh, they either either because they don't feel it's necessary, as Ben pointed out before, because the people who are throwing the money around just don't care enough, or just the the requirement for it isn't explicitly there. Um, so you know why spend the resources on it? So uh, until uh, until a they start experiencing the pain of uh, having the satellites um, their satellites being uh, infiltrated or otherwise um damaged the uh i think until the until that happens or until they're pushed from a federal standpoint which you know can be annoying to have to deal with the 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 government trying to tell you that you need to do this but sometimes it seems to be what's necessary in order for the commercial side to commit to that um so i think you know spd5 is already a great example of that you're seeing more people trying to get there now and that's just a recommendation it's not even a hard requirement so I think as more and more of that happens, uh, you'll see the commercial side catching up more and more because, um, uh, you know, it, it's it's quite expensive, as I said before, and the, and people are just trying to not flip that bill if they don't have to. And I'd also put forward that, you know, with the colonial pipeline attack, you know, I'm sure their security budget for their software systems, you know, increased quite a bit earlier this year. And, you know, as that becomes more and more common, more and more people are going to say, I don't want my name in the headlines that way. Let's go ahead and try to take more preemptive. But it, it is going to take time and, and pressure. Talk a little bit more about SPD-5. Uh, yeah, so that, so when that dropped uh, last year, uh, yeah, I believe it was last year. Was it two years ago now? I remember. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was a lot of, or there was a lot of attention put on it for, uh, 
you know, seeing that the, the requirements coming down for um, a, an industry-wide uh, standard put on security, right? Like the, there's going to be an expectation that you have a, a basic level of uh, security on any of your space assets going up. Now that, uh, now again, SPD-5 itself uh, isn't necessarily a hard requirement, um, but uh, I, yeah, I think that's, it was a uh, like writing on the wall, right? That's what the way a lot of companies were treating it for. Uh, we need to start now actually start catching up um, and, and start uh, following a lot of these uh, standards that, that we see coming um, from that side of the fence. You know, it's, it's part of just these kind of standards and pronouncements. I was initially excited about zero trust, you know, executive orders coming out of, you know, the White House and then the agencies picking that up. And I kept uh, doing a control F search on the word space and I kept coming up short on, you know, it's just not even explicitly mentioned as critical infrastructure. I don't know if you are participating and trying to advance that discussion, but it always seems like space is like, oh, yeah, we do that, too kind of a, an afterthought. Um, any thoughts on the importance of labeling space as critical infrastructure or what, if anything, we need to do to help educate the market? Uh, I was just going to say that, you know, making sure people are just remembering that space is a, is a leg in this chain uh, that needs to be addressed with, you know, just the base stuff that happens for all computer systems is a really good starting point. A lot of people just think that satellites are just special magical things in the sky that don't actually you know, have, you know, operating systems, you know, processes, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's a definite starting point. Uh, but for a lot of the, you know, real uniqueness of, of uh, security in space, that's something that's just, you know, started to research and look into. There's a lot more to learn, you know, beyond what, you know, a general computer system would be. So there's a lot of room to grow there. Well, uh, we're coming up on the end of our time. I think it would be really interesting to know, like, what was the first computer that you had growing up? To make it a little personal anecdote, and there are correct and incorrect answers to this question, so choose carefully. Uh, I'll go first on that one. So my uh, school system, when I was in kindergarten, started a program where they wanted to have every student in front of a computer at least once a week, and we were using old IBM Jostens uh, workstations um and jostens what's a jostens worksheet <laughs> basically there was a large mainframe at the county office that you had a dumb terminal that remoted into and it was rudimentary uh inter interface it was gui so you know it, it was post text and all but uh the first computer i had at home was an old apple uh e2 my mom brought back from her classroom uh with a five and a quarter floppy playing lemonade stand and number munchers and and all that kind of stuff so was it like green text and a black background kind of a deal? Oh, uh, and Steve, what computer did you have growing up? Uh, so, yeah, for me, uh, I can't even say a specific computer because my dad uh, was the one that got me into computers. And my first computer, I went to a computer fair with him back when those were still around um, when I was nine, I guess, somewhere around there. and. Uh, and we walked around, he picked out components for me, and then he and I built the computer together. Obviously, it's more him telling me what to do, and I just plugged things in because I had no idea what I was doing. But uh, so, yeah, my, I, I don't remember exactly what components were in that thing. But, uh, but yeah, my first computer was a, a custom build type thing that I did with my dad when I was like eight or nine years old. 
Well, uh, I can tell you there was a card for everything. Oh, you want a printer on that computer? That's a card. A mouse? That's a card. <laughs> yeah. You want yeah. you want sound? Oh, that's a card. <laughs> you know, there's a card for everything. Yeah, the you second know. computer that I had was a Mac OS 5, and the only thing it had internal to it was the hard drive. And if you wanted a CD-ROM or a zip drive or a, you know, a 28.8 modem, there was just a big scuzzy stack of uh, devices off to the side of the computer for me. Well, not to date myself, mine was a Timex Sinclair with a whopping Ooh. fast 300 baud acoustic coupler for our home <laughs> telephone. Because you have to choose, do you want to talk on the phone or do you want to connect to a bulletin board system to download ASCIIART? You have to make tough, difficult decisions. <sighs> very tough, and very tough. I don't yeah, know yeah, what exactly. <laughs> My parents were not fans uh, of that at all. And you have to remember, dial the special code to disable call waiting or it breaks your connection. Mm -hmm. Then you have to start over. Yeah. Those were good times. Oh, I so, convinced my parents to get a second phone line just so that wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> You're so fancy. Did you have like yep. AOL? What one billion minutes? It started with like 25 free minutes to so like <laughs> millions of minutes. Just put the CD in. Mm -hmm. You can build a fort with all those discs. Yep. Exactly. There, there's some country somewhere that has probably collected all those discs somewhere and recycling them into something. <laughs> the future is built on AOL discs somewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, you know, Ben and Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking the time to, to jump on this Zero Trust for Zero Gravity podcast and uh, look forward to all the great stuff coming out of Tricep. Yeah, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.